Praise God, everybody. We're back today in the book of Revelation. Today we're going to begin chapter 21. I don't know if we're going to get it all done in one setting or not. We'll do our best and we'll see how it goes here. But we are in the last, the final two chapters of the book of Revelation. We're basically talking about uh, eternal, the eternity future and also a final invitation from the Lord. And this invitation, when we get to it, is the invitation that echoes since the very beginning all the way down here to the very end. And so it's going to be a fascinating thing as we look at these verses of Scripture that pertains to a new heaven and a new earth. So in, in these concluding chapters of the book, new and wonderful things are presented to us relative uh, to the ages to come. Uh, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, new conditions, and a new people. There will be new light, a new temple, and a new paradise. And it will be a perfect, eternal state. So, we're going to get right into it here in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to again uh, mention to you that we have been uh, studying the book of Revelation from the vantage point of you and I reading it together. Uh, many, many, many months ago, the Lord laid it on my heart to begin to read the book of Revelation with my friends and with my partners and uh, that's what we've done. We've shared some insight into some Greek words. We have outlined the book. And we've just kind of hit the highlights as we went through. There are many, many directions that we could take as we study the book of Revelation. Especially when you get to the, the uh, seals and the trumpets and the vials. You get to the rise of the Antichrist and all of these subjects we will take on at another time as individual series. And we'll try to take a much closer look at some of those things. But when we're done here, we can say that we read the book of Revelation together and that we outlined the book and we have a good working understanding of the order of events transpiring as we have seen them. We also were able, by the help and grace of the Lord, to show you what the parenthetical sections are and tell you what that actually means. And so we've been all through that. Uh, these messages, these radio broadcasts will be on the Old Time Power podcast and you will be able to go back. Please avail yourself of that. Download them all to your computer. Download them to your computer and then you will have them to study uh, as often as you would like to do so. So with that being said, we will start here in Revelation 21.1. And I saw a new heaven. This is John. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So it states right here plainly that the first heavens and the first earth are passed away. And that was a result of a, of a renovation by fire, and after that was completed, the result is that a new heaven and a new earth exist. The fact of the, the renovation of the earth is a subject that is very much misunderstood. 
the general conception is that the present heaven and earth will be completely annihilated or cease to exist and that new heavens and a new earth will take their places but that's not really the case and underst uh, uh, to understand this subject it can be harmonized with other scriptures to, to form a more clear picture. The renovation of the earth will be timed after the millennium and the casting of Satan into the lake of fire and during the great white throne judgment. Read 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. The throne will come down to the new earth with the holy city and be with men forever. Praise God. The present heaven and the present earth will not cease to exist or pass completely away. Many get that impression from reading 2 Peter 3, uh, 10 through 13, Revelation 20, 11, and Revelation 21, 1. But a more careful observation of these passages reflect to us some other views. According to 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, the present heaven and earth will not be annihilated. The fire does not destroy them. This fire changes something from one state to another, and Peter is showing us there uh, that it'll be a renovation of the earth by fire. It will be, the earth will not be totally obliterated, it'll be cleansed, it'll be purified. And it, just like when the destruction of Noah's flood came, uh, in the beginning the world was not completely destroyed. A purpose was accomplished and that's the same as it is for this uh, renovation by fire the renovation process will end the day of the Lord and begin the day of God 2nd Peter 3 10 through 19 the word in the Greek that is translated pass away is per chomai and it means to go by or away from in the sense of from one condition to another. This word in the Greek is never used to indicate a ceasing of existence. Okay? There are many instances where this is used. In at least 75 instances, it means such things as the passing of time. It's the same word in Matthew 7, 28, Matthew chapter uh, 9, verse 10, Matthew 11, verse 1, Matthew 13, 53. It means the passing of time. Also, it means events that happen. Matthew 24, verse 6, Luke 21, 7, John 14, 29. Parachomei is the word used in reference to the infallibility of God's word like showing that it is easier for a change in heaven and earth than it would be for God's word to fail. It's the same word, Matthew 5.18, Matthew 24, 34-35, Mark 13.31, Luke 16.17, Luke 21.32, verses 33. It's also used in reference to God's people passing by certain places. Same word in Mark chapter 6 verse 48 and Luke chapter 18 37. And in Luke 12 37 and 17 7 it refers to the coming of an individual. And so there are numerous other examples but not one of them is used with reference to the passing out of existence. So it is felt that 2 Peter 3 10 clearly means 
passing from one condition to another, as does Hebrews 1 verse 12 and Hebrews 12 verses 27 and 28. The verse referred to in 2 Peter speaks of the elements melting with fervent heat. The word for element is stoichion, stoichion, meaning something orderly in arrangement, element, principle, or rudiment. It has to do with the foundation principles regarding the questions that are involved. And in Galatians 4, verse 3, and verse 9, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and verse 20, and in 2 Peter 2, verses 10 and 12, the word embraces the principles of sin and the present world system. It embodies sinful nature, disease, bad spirits, corruption, and includes a part of this present bondage and corruption that must be destroyed. And you can read, uh, praise God, Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. So here we see that the, the earth is going to be renovated by fire to burn away the dross of sin, to change the nature of the planet, because the planet suffered a fall when man did. And so it is, a re it is a renovation, plain and simple. Earth and heaven are not going to be done away with. They're going to be renovated. Now heaven, the renovation most probably is because it will come down for the first time to planet earth. And, and all of the redeemed saints will be gathered in. And so there's some accommodations that will be made. Uh, that's most likely what that means there. The word that is translated melt is luo, <clears throat> and it means to loose, to put off, unbind, untie, or set free. Isn't that glorious? Hallelujah. We are going to be untied from this sinful planet. We're going to be untied from all of the uh, uh, air pollution that man created, fallen man created. You see what I'm saying? This is the purpose for this renovation. We're going to be untied and set free from the pollution, from the poverty, from the hunger, from the sickness, from the disease, and from the sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God's making a beautiful place for us that will be free of all those things. Praise the Lord. Uh, so it's translated this way in several scriptures, such as uh, Mark 21:2, I mean Matthew 21:2, Luke 19 verse 30 and verse 33, John 1:27, John 11:44, Acts 7 verse 33. And it's rendered dissolve in Second Peter um, in times connected to the renovation by fire. Excuse me, I lost my place right there. These passages certainly seem to establish that the present heaven and the present earth will be renovated by being loosed from bondage and that they will be changed into new states and conditions, just as it says in Romans 8, 21 through 23. In 2 Peter 3:10, the word translated works is ergon. And it means work, toil, deed, labor, and the acts of men. It's used of both religious works and works in general. 
Hence, this scripture is saying that these things will be loosed by fire and the elements, the sinful things of this world system, shall melt. Everything that's sinful will be melted and absent from eternity. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Here, the Greek word tiko is used, and it means to liquefy or melt. This is not the same word translated melt when speaking of the fervent heat. The scripture records the act of loosing the heavens and the earth from all effects and results of the curse and corruption that makes things unclean. There will be the fulfilling of the promise for a completely renewed heaven and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Praise God. Revelation 20 uh, 11 is often expected to mean that the earth and the heavens will cease to exist. The word there is fugo, and it's translated fled. This means to flee away, to shun, or to vanish. It can be used figur figuratively or literally, and in this case it's used figuratively uh, as in Revelation 6.14 and 16.20. There are many other examples of figurative usage parallel to this. In Revelation 6.14, 16.20, and 20 verse 11, the language is all figurative. Speaking of the heavens and the earth, and the passage in Revelation 20.11 pictures the same renovation as 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. The reference in 21.1 uses the word new, and the Greek word is kainos, and it means to be renewed, or become new. It carries the idea of freshness and character, and it doesn't mean new in existence. Okay? The Greek word used in that sense is neos. A contrast between these two words is found in Matthew 9:17, where the word speaks of a new wine, neos, newly made wine, being put into new bottles, kainos, meaning freshened or renewed wineskins. The contrast can be seen in numerous other scriptures. So we're going to conclude uh, that the expression new heaven and new earth in 2 Peter 3.13 and Revelation 21.1 has reference to the present heaven and earth being made new in character, renewed and loosed from the old curse with its corresponding influence and effects. Now that was a rather detailed explanation but we believe that those things that need to be renovated will be burned, and many things will remain as they are, mankind, animals, etc., and so forth. Romans 18, uh, verse 25, uh, through 8, 18 through 25, speaks of the whole creation of God at the time of Adam remaining forever, and further reveals their deliverance from the present bondage to the state of glorious liberty and manifestation of the sons of God. So I want to stop right there a second and throw this out at you. Uh, we have not even ever, I believe, in our minds, ever, comprehended what we shall be in Christ. We know some things that we are in Christ while we live on planet earth. But we haven't been able to comprehend much of what it's going to be like in eternity to be in Christ, 
to be in this place that has sin has been removed. We have never experienced that. So it's very hard to imagine what that will be like. But we will be in a place where the curse will be obliterated. Sin will be absent. Hallelujah. Everything will be pure and beautiful as in God's original intent. We are truly on the way back to Eden through our journey of life. And these things are brought out so graphically in the Greek language surrounding these verses. Praise be to God. It's apparent from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 through 28, that some things will be destroyed while other things remain, and that there will be a kingdom received that cannot be moved. Another statement that indicates to us change rather than annihilation is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. God has the interest of his creatures at heart, and these, his prettiest creation, will not be totally destroyed or annihilated. Fire will certainly consume wicked and rebellious things out of the camp of the saints. But there are many expressions that there are those things that are ordained by God which will remain forever. Hallelujah. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says that old things are passed away and all things are become new for the Christian. And that is while we yet live this life. Yet we know that there are many basic physical aspects of an individual which are essentially the same. The Greek word used there is kianos and it means to renew. This is the same idea for the renewal of the heaven and the earth. Praise be to God. And there's other passages in the word uh, that also refer to new heavens and new earth. Isaiah chapter 65 verses 17 through 19 there will be a new people, hallelujah, who will rejoice forever in the most glorious world called the world of worlds in the Chaldee Targum. Jesus and Jerusalem both will be the center of rejoicing. So we will worship Jesus. You know, those of you that have wondered if you're ever going to make it to the Holy Land or perhaps you're like me, and uh, for health reasons, you've been advised maybe not to fly for that long to get from here in America over to the Holy Land. One day you will stand in Jerusalem and you will worship Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. I believe God will give you a tour. The tour that will beat all other tours. Hallelujah. As your eyes of understanding, spiritually speaking, will be opened and you will begin to comprehend this great place where Jesus walked when he lived upon the earth. You will see it. We all will. Jerusalem will be an eternal possession while still here on the new earth. She will continue to exist. That's clearly stated in 2 Chronicles 33.4, Jeremiah 17.25, and Ezekiel 43.7. In the eternal city of Jerusalem, there will be rejoicing for God and His people, and all tears will be wiped away. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Israel is assured. They are guaranteed that they will be an eternal earthly people in Isaiah 66. Verses 22 through 24. There is a promise that Israel's seed and Israel's name will remain 
forever. Hallelujah. And so there's many other passages that, that you could look at. Um, Psalm 72, verses 8 through 10. And verse 17, Psalm 97, 1 through 6, Isaiah 60, 10, 66, 18 through 24, Zechariah 9, 10, and Zechariah 14, 8. And so without the oceans being present, there will not be islands, but some seas will continue to exist eternally. And you can see that in Jeremiah 5, 22. Jeremiah 31, verses 35 and 36, Psalm 146, 6, Proverbs 8, 29, Acts 4, 24, Acts 14, verse 15, and Revelation 10, 6, and 14, 7. Water will not be done away with, even though the, the oceans will be uh, no longer necessary. That was where the land mass consisted as one. And it's an interesting concept to think, that if you fit the if you take the oceans out, you can fit all the land masses together like a jigsaw puzzle. And so many scholars believe that that cataclysmic event that created the ocean was the fall of Lucifer back before Adam. And when Lucifer fell and the third of the angels with him, there was a cataclysm that took place. And so it appears from a study of the book of Revelation. Um, well, let, let me, let me uh, read it as one Bible scholar said. The thought is that the large oceans now covering three-fourths of the earth will be no more. However, there will be rivers and lakes and smaller seas forever. And we gave you some... Uh, references that pertain to exactly that. So let's go on to the next verse here in Revelation. We'll go verses 3 through 8. And the Bible says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Hallelujah. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Hallelujah. For the for former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write. For these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So that's a very interesting section of Scripture. Uh, the voice that speaks out of heaven appears to be the voice of Christ, declaring that the tabernacle of God is with men. And then there's another message from him that sat upon the throne, proclaiming that all things are made new. This is God speaking. Hallelujah. The voice from out of heaven reveals that the tabernacle of God is now with men. It's a literal one that will come down from God with the new Jerusalem to be with men. 
The word with in the Greek is meta, and it means to be amid or among. Same word used in Matthew 26, 58 and Mark 1, 13. Or it means in company with in Matthew 9, 15 and 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. This is undoubtedly referring to the natural men on earth because the glorified individuals will already have been with God for a thousand years. God will come down to these earthly people who have lived through the millennium without rebelling against the kingdom uh, as those did who rebelled at the end of the millennium under the leadership of Satan. So when Satan is loosed for a short season at the end of the millennium, he will gather the rebellion to himself. Rebellion will always gravitate to rebellion. And Satan is the ultimate rebeller. But all those natural people who did not rebel, but rather accepted Christ and received his kingdom, now God is coming down and forever will live among them. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. And so, um, the people will not become a glorified people but will remain in a natural state. However, they will be imperishable as God intended man to be when he created him. God's eternal purpose was not changed because of the fall of man, and once again the human race will continue to live as originally intended. God will dwell or tabernacle among men, that is, in the midst of them. God the Father himself will be visible to them and will be Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. Isaiah 7:14, Zechariah 2, verses 10 and 11, Zechariah 8, 3, Matthew 1.23, hallelujah. God will also wipe away all tears from out of their eyes. Isaiah 25 and 8 also states this. The word for wipe means to stroke, rub, erase, touch, abolish, and utterly wipe away. The same Greek word in this passage means to smear out, obliterate, or wipe away. The things that cause us sorrow and regret will be removed. And then we hear this most marvelous and glorious statement. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I just want to let that sink in for a minute. Everything that causes pain and sorrow and regret will be removed from our realm of existence forever. Throughout all of eternity future. You think of that. How beautiful it is that the last enemy, the Bible says, the last enemy that shall be defeated is death. All of these things are removed. The sin and the curse are taken away from the human race to be no more. You see, the end result of sin is death. The devil has caused both death and destruction. But the natural man in the future kingdom on earth will experience the fulfillment of Exodus 32.13, Psalm 25.13, Psalm 37, verses 9-11, through 11, and verse 22 and 29 and 34. 
Psalm 69, verse 36, Psalm 82, verse 8, Isaiah 60, verse 21, Matthew 5, 5, and Matthew 25, 34. Hallelujah. Conditions will be conducive only to perfection and for good in the new earth. And the human race will be perpetuated without the difficulties caused by the devil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The second voice is also from God who sits on the throne in verses 5 through 8. He declares, Behold, I make all things new. It's the same word for new as in Revelation 21.1. It indicates that things will not be destroyed, but rather will be renewed. The promise is also given that those who thirst can drink of the fountain of life freely, and those who overcome will inherit all things. At the same time, those who are evil will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And this is the second death, the scripture says. And so we've given you several verses of scripture that shows that natural people will exist in the new earth from generation to generation forever. There's at least 50 scriptures that deal with that. And so in the mouth of two or three, let everything be established. Praise God. Um, the natural seed of David and his throne and kingdom will be eternal and will be ruled by Christ forever. 2 Samuel 7 verses 11 through 17. 1 Kings 2, verse 45, 1 Kings 9, 3 through 5, 1 Chronicles 17, 7 through 14, 2 Chronicles 13, 5, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, Micah 4, 7, and we could go on and on. Christ will be the eternal ruler. He is from the lineage of David as far as the man Christ Jesus. And you understand how that worked with the incarnation of Christ. He had an earthly mother, Mary, who was through the seed of David. And he had a heavenly father. And Jesus came 100% God and 100% man. Hallelujah. And that is what it took for him to go to the cross and die for our redemption. And then, buried in the tomb, risen on the third day, his rule has no end and praise God for it God has created all things and man his highest creation was in the beginning originally to have dominion over all the works of God's hands you can read the 8th Psalm and see that also the creation account in Genesis this would include the planets in the universe it figures then that man's full possessive rights would give access to this portion of God's creation in the future restoration. Hallelujah. So over the eons of eternity future, there will be a substantial increase in the number of people. Get, get this understanding. I hope, I hope it was clear enough the way I tried to bring it out that we're going back to the Eden situation to the perfect original intent of God, and human, natural people will continue to inhabit the earth through eternity, procreating as God's family just expands and expands. The difference is, 
in eternity, there will be no temptation to sin. There will be no sin nature. There will be no curse. There will be no sin. There will be no devil in eternity future. Praise be to God. And so we can see here that it's going to be once again like God originally intended in the book of Genesis when He first created man. And this time, there will not be a fall. Hallelujah to God. There will be no fall in eternity. Hallelujah. And man will serve God in the beauty of holiness. Praise God. So let's go back and read verse 2 again in Revelation 21. Then we're going to read verses 9 through 11. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will shew thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and shewed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And I'm going to just basically skim over this, but I want to make mention to you here what this angel said the bride of Christ was. So I'll ask you that like a question right now. What did the angel say the bride of Christ was? And clearly, plainly on the paper, the angel said that the new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Which would make sense. I know, I know we use terminology in the church that the church is the bride of Christ. And, and, and there is some, some truth in the way that is meant. But you, you have to think of it this way. God who does all things perfect. Christ is male. And so His body, we are the body of Christ, referred to in the male as well. But, but when it's referred to, it's talking about all saved humanity. Everyone who accepts Christ, male or female, is in the body of Christ. Um, and it clearly says here that the new Jerusalem, that's, he, you know, he said, I'm going to show you the Lamb's wife, and he showed him Jerusalem, right? So that kind of tells you that the, the phrase holy city, um, in it, the word holy there means it's a holy and pure city. It's separated unto God. And it's called the bride, the Lamb's wife. Both in verse 2 and in verse 9. Um, so we go through that. I'm just going to skip over that. But I will say this as we move on to our next section. The eternal location of the new Jerusalem will be on earth. There, there are those who believe it will be in midair, but reference to the foundations of the city uh, tend to not agree with that theory. The descent from heaven is unlikely to stop short of reaching to the earth. Also, the fact that the nations of men on earth will bring recognition, glory, and honor to it would certainly mean that it would be located on the earth. The glory of God is reflected throughout this holy city, and is likened to the jasper stone. A beautiful light of radiant glory is seen throughout the new Jerusalem. 
The Bible tells us that the Lamb is the light. Jesus Christ is the light of that glory. And we come once again where we have to make that statement and make it clear. This whole thing is about Jesus Christ. Not just the entirety of the book of Revelation, which was called the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is showing us every aspect of Jesus Christ revealed to us in the book of Revelation, but also the entirety of the Word of God, the whole Bible. It's all about Jesus Christ. We get to play a part simply because of the love and the mercy and the grace of God if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but the whole thing is about Him. He is the only one worthy. He is the only one totally obedient. He is the only one who was worthy out of all of heaven. Every saint that had ever lived up to that point in the book of Revelation, we read about He was the only one found worthy to open the scroll and to open the seals. You remember? So Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. We are allowed to participate. God did not have to elect to save any of us. We are allowed to participate because He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. And upon our faith, then we become in Christ. And God blesses Christ. God doesn't really bless man. He blesses Christ. We receive of those blessings, hallelujah, because God delights to love His children and bless His children. But it's all under the umbrella of Christ. And we have to take that through anything we study in the Bible. Everything that we study in the Bible about the way we are to live our lives must hinge on the cross and on the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And then we will be on the road that God desires us to be on. So let's go to verse 12. Revelation 21, verse 12. I don't know that we're going to get through this whole chapter today. We may. And this had a wall great and high and had twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels and names written thereon which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south three gates on the west three gates and the wall of the city had twelve foundations and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. You know, Judas could have been there. 30 pieces of silver was the price they paid. 30 pieces of silver, just the price of a slave. In my heart, I have given to this Christ betrayed 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. I would pray in my heart of hearts today that there would be no price for you that would cause you to sell out our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
You know, I was praying about this this morning as I get so much mail from so many believers, and I, and I love getting the mail. Please keep sending it. We pray over your request. Uh, it's it's wonderful to be able to pray for one another and bless one another. Thank you for your testimonies. One thing I hear so often is, you know, I'm I'm doing enough to get me into heaven. So I guess I don't need to worry so much about all these other issues. And it always saddens my heart because it reminds me of someone who just wants to slide in by the seat of their pants and by the skin of their teeth. And I think you'll find that the reality is not going to be that way when you really stand before the Lord. We should all, all Christians, should have a heart to please the Lord. And it should break our hearts when we displease Him. And we can't be holy in our own strength. Yes, we need the blood of Jesus. We need the grace of God. We need to have faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Absolutely. But our hearts must be willing. And so anything that I'm doing that is displeasing to the Lord, I want to stop it. And anything that I'm failing to do that displeases the Lord, I want to begin to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's being a real Christian. That is being a real disciple. Not getting in by the skin of your teeth. And I have to say that at this point. The names of the apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. Praise God. So we see here this eternal city of Jerusalem where we will one day reside. Praise God. There's no uh, real indication given to us as the distance to this city, but they will undoubtedly be in the same part of the earth the, where, the, where the original earthly Jerusalem is now is most likely where the heavenly Jerusalem is going to come down with its center which we also believe Jerusalem was most likely the center of the Garden of Eden. And the garden was vast and, and huge. This city will be the same. It'll, be, it'll cover a lot of ground, folks. It's going to be a big, big city. It will probably... It'll, well, the Scripture said, as, long, as wide as it is will be how tall that it is also. And it would have to be for the billions upon billions upon billions of people who will reside there. When the saints of God are raptured before the millennium, they will occupy the new Jerusalem, the earthly city capital of the kingdom of Christ and of earthly Israel. And it will be somewhat, at that, that city is somewhat miniature compared to the heavenly that will come after the renovation. And I did my best to uh, delineate how we believe this is, is going to take place. You've got earthly Jerusalem. Now, when the saints of God are raptured before the tribulation, remember I told you there's more than one rapture pictured in the book of Revelation. 
When the saints of God were raptured before the tribulation, we did not go to the earthly city of Jerusalem. We went to heaven. Amen? The heavenly city. That's where we went. And at that time, at the end of the church age, right before the tribulation is going to start, the heavenly city is still in the heaven of heavens. At least in the third heaven, which is where God resides, and no man has ever seen into, save those who were taken up alive and translated like Enoch and Elijah. Okay? Again, during the millennium, Satan bound, uh, great white throne judgment, and renovation of the earth. Then, after that renovation of the earth that we looked at earlier, cometh down the city out of heaven to planet earth and reside there. I'll also throw this in. Um, because of the heavenly city residing at least in a, in a third heaven, and there may be very many more dimensions than what we are aware of, but at least the third heaven, and because it is a city, and because it is inhabited, we can conclude thusly that heaven now is a planet somewhere that has never been seen by men. Praise God. So it also tells us here that the names of the twelve tribes of Israel will be inscribed on the twelve gates that are in the wall. These names will also appear on the gates of the earthly Jerusalem, Ezekiel 48, verses 30 through 35. Angels will stand by the gates. The names of the twelve apostles will be on the foundation. Matthias will be the twelfth apostle, apostle for he was numbered with the other eleven and chosen after the fall of Judas. And you can read Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. It can also be observed that both Old and New Testament saints are included in all of these great, glorious, precious promises. The angel we see used a golden reed to measure the city, the gates, and the wall. Hallelujah. The city is four square. Length, breadth, height are equal. Hallelujah. About 1,500 miles is the measurement according to the furlong that was used, the measuring reed. And you can see the one that was used is also found in Ezekiel 40, verse 5, Ezekiel 41, verse 8, Ezekiel 43, verse 13. So listen to this. The New Jerusalem... 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. Glory be to God for His amazing works. Amen? Hallelujah. If this is to be understood as a cube, which it could be, it would appear to be uh, the inside would be dwelling places and, and such as that. It would have... 3,375,000,000 cubic miles. Somewhat, in order for understanding purposes like our modern skyscrapers, with layered stories. And this description doesn't necessarily conclude that it is an actual cube. It could conceivably taper at the top or resemble a mountain peak or pyramid or whatever. We don't know. 
but it's so vast and so tremendous that it boggles the mind. Hallelujah. Revelation 21, 18 through 21. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold. How many of you know God has no economic problems up there in glory? Amen. And in the perfect age to come, for all of eternity, we will have no economic problems either. Praise be to God. No more children crying in the ghetto. No more empty stomachs to go to bed at night and cry themselves to sleep. Praise be to God. Praise be to God forever. Truly, our troubles will be past and over. The city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a chrysophagus, the eleventh a jasnith, the twelfth an amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. You think of it. That's a pretty big oyster. My Lord. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Praise God. We saw the, the reference to the heavenly tabernacle proving that there will be a literal temple in Jerusalem, but the idea that's conveyed here is that the personal presence of God and the Lamb will, in a very real sense, be a sanctuary for God's people in the eternal state. All previous worship on earth has not had that personal presence of God and the Lamb as objects of worship in the tabernacles in this way. Okay, so here's, here's what I think this is really saying to us uh, in the original. It says, it's this, there will be a temple there just like there will be sacrifice offered as a memorial, as a remembrance, as an object lesson. But we won't need it for what it was needed for during the earth time. During the earth time, it, it served one purpose. Here, it serves another purpose because our real tabernacle is Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Same thing with light. There's no light there. The Lamb is the light. I don't know if there will be candles that will be used or anything of that nature. We, we really don't know. But the point is, not that there's not a switch you can turn on. The point is, is that Jesus Christ will illuminate every person in the world. We will know as we are known. They, I'll, I'll tell you how this goes, and it's amazing to me. But even right now, if you're a Christian, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, and, and you've been washed in the blood and your sins have been washed away, let me tell you something. You are fully known by God. Everything about you. 
Everything that we hide from other people because we, we know that they wouldn't like us. But you are fully known by God and you are completely loved. And God, Jesus is supposed to be your illumination. That's why it's a tragedy for Christians to disobey what the Lord is telling them to do. Because you're completely known and completely loved. And that should birth within us, not, I just want to get by. It should birth in us, I want to do my best for my Lord, who loves me so much. I want to do my best. I want to be all that He wants me to be. Praise God. And that's what we see from these explanations. It's promised in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, that the overcomer, the overcomer will have authority in the temple of God, and there will be no more going out. Several passages do refer to a temple in the holy city, which is a real place of God's presence. So again, it's the illuminating factor. It's the presence of God factor. It will be found... You can, anytime you desire, be in His actual real presence. So the temple's there for a reason, but it's not the same reason that it was during the earth time. Okay, Revelation 21, 23, and 25. And we're going to go all the way, and we're going to read one verse from chapter 22 in this section, the light. And even though we're not to 22 yet, okay? And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The light of the city will be greater than the light of the sun, moon, and stars, the brilliance of the glory of God, whose wondrous beauty defies description, surpasses even the sun, which will be increased sevenfold during the millennium. This city will have no need for the sun and the moon, but the sun and the moon will continue to shine for the sake of other parts of the earth. The dazzling light from the glory of God shining out from this transparent city of gold will be beyond our present descriptive ability. And again, let me mention to you, it would bless you greatly, it would bless you tremendously for you to do a study on heaven and a study on the New Jerusalem on your own and look into the various different words that are used to describe these passages. So let's read Revelation 21-24 and then the 26th and 27th verse as well. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there's, notice there's still nations. There's still nations and they still travel to the New Jerusalem. Okay? This whole world will be there. There will be a place in eternity called the New Jerusalem. There probably maybe very well be a place called Kansas. 
you know, what it's saying here is that they are traveling into the city. The nations come into it. Okay? So, it's basically the world, the nations, without sin, without the sin nature, without all of the evil that has been here in our lifetimes upon planet Earth, but in the eternity future, there will be cities, there will be nations, there will be travel. Some, some have suggested that mankind will be able to travel at the speed of thought. I mean, you could be standing there in Wichita, Kansas, and you could just think yourself to the New Jerusalem in a matter of a blink of an eye. We, this is reality, folks. This is more real than anything you have ever heard in your life. And this is the future for us who know Jesus. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination. Yeah, I don't care what you say. If you're abominable, you don't have Jesus. Okay? Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. The gates of the New Jerusalem will never be closed in the eternal day of that city. The earth will have natural men living in various nations throughout the earth, subject to the eternal kingdom ruled by God and the saints forever. They will carry on natural activities such as planting, harvesting, building, multiplying, and developing in their activities. Men will pass by the New Jerusalem and in and out of its gates. Leaders from various places in the earth will come and give glory and honor to God in the holy city, using the fruit of the earth as an expression of love. The holy city will be open and traffic will come by and into it. Praise be to God. And that wraps up uh, our teaching on chapter 21. There's one chapter left. I'm so excited to get to Revelation chapter 22 in our next session. And I just want to say this again. I know I've said it and I've said it and I've said it, but I appreciate those of you who have listened to every one of these sessions. Because it obviously shows that you're serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ. You're serious about studying out the Word of God. And while there have been many rabbit trails that we have not taken, and I did that on purpose, I wanted to give you the book verbatim, the book of Revelation, word by word, verbatim, in this particular study. And as I said at the beginning, we will be looking at some of the topical studies as well, such as uh, the church age, the rapture of the church, the seals, the trumpets, the vials, the rise of the Antichrist, who is the false prophet. We're going to look at all of this by topic later, and each one of them will in themselves be little mini-series um, all of the teaching is not found in the book of Revelation. As we showed you many times along the way in this study, some of it comes out of the book of Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and other places. Uh, Genesis, one of the most prophetic books in the Bible, is the book of Genesis. 
So for some of those that wish maybe that I would have taken some rabbit trails, I say rabbit trails because you get off onto them very, very fast and sometimes it can really elongate things. And it's really not necessary because we can do it topically. But in one chapter, ladies and gentlemen, you will be able to say that you have read the entire book of Revelation and had it outlined and looked at some of the Greek words and their, and their meanings. You have been introduced, no doubt, to concepts that you have not heard before, and we praise God for that. And for those of you that have been studying these things for a long time, you have to remember, see, just like the pastor in your church, it bothers me when Christians get disappointed in their pastor's preaching. And I'm talking about a pastor who is a true pastor, who preaches the Word of God, who, who has a message from the Lord for the people each week. It's powerful, and that's what we need. We all need to be in church. Amen. But their audience is not just you. That's why they can't always preach what you think you want to hear. They've got different people in that church, just like I have different people in the churches that I go to preach in, and on my radio and television audience, I have different levels that I'm preaching to at the same time. And I have to really pray and ask God, how do you want me to present this that it can hit all these levels? And so Christians shouldn't be getting angry if I preach something you already knew, or you already thought you knew, anyway. Uh, there should be no frustration there. You have to consider the the people next to you, that maybe they've never heard it before. And so what we wanted to do with Revelation is break it down, make it simple. Just read the verses of Scripture and not throw our opinion in there. I have some opinions, and we're going to look at those when we get to the titles. I'll give you a quick example here before we close. Um, but don't, don't forget where we left off. We are studying eternity future, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, it is mind-blowing. I want to recommend to you right now Randy Alcorn's book on heaven because that book gives a graphic insight into what's taken place uh, in heaven. So, um, don't forget that, but let me tell you this. When we start to study and take a look at some of the things that the Antichrist can use to make his uh, debut to run his wicked kingdom and to mark his followers. When we begin to look at that, it's going to absolutely amaze you at some of the things that are out there today that make it possible for the first time in history for these prophecies to become a reality. It's going to be a great time in the future as we take on some of these topics. But for now, this is Brother Paxton. Thank you so much for joining me today and studying the book of Revelation. And until the next time that we can gather together around the Word of God, go with God, and He will go with you. Bless you.